Super Talk Mississippi media production. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by AG Chase Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making Coast of Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. We're going to have a great show today. Ashley Edwards from the Business Channel is going to join me here shortly. But I wanted to share something with you. I got a call from Todd Trenchard from the Baker McCarty Foundation. Uh, they're a major sponsor, incidentally, this year, the One Coast Awards. Uh, used to be the uh, top 10 leaders. Uh, top 10 community leaders and then the top 10 under 40 leaders at the Sun-Herald. But uh, along the way, the Sun-Herald sort of handed this off to um, to the, the regional chambers or the you know, the chambers along the coast, and they continue to move it forward, and they're doing such a great job. The na- new name of it is the One Coast Awards. Um, Todd wanted me to um, consider being sort of the opening speaker and uh, just to welcome everybody and, and sort of place a challenge, so to speak. And um, I'm really excited about the opportunity. I, I was honored to, to to start the awards back in, I think, 2002. We started the conversation when I became publisher in 2001. And I'm so glad that it's still going because at the end of the day, the leadership in coastal Mississippi, that's going to be our key to reaching our potential as a region. So it got to me thinking. I've been thinking a lot about it. I uh, certainly have the opportunity to think about it every day on Coast View. But I was reading a, a book a book uh, summary of a book written by Brene Brown called Daring Greatly. And in the book, she said, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable is a sign of strength, not weakness. Think about it. So allowing ourselves to be vulnerable is a sign of strength, not weakness. And I, you know, I got to thinking about. It. I, I really can't th- I agree more. I mean, if you think about it, for example, to to be to be vulnerable is to be honest about where you may be underperforming. You know, personally, and that the focus on that is going to is going to make you want to be thirsty to be better, to improve yourself. And because uh, you know, we all know that to succeed in our life, we have to be committed to constant improvement. And so, you know, this applies to us in, individually, of course, but it also applies to how we should approach our region, coastal Mississippi. Um, it's important work for all of us who live, work, and play here. That's for sure. It's important work for the people who visit here. It's it's obviously incredibly important to the state because we are the economic engine that drives the state of Mississippi. So it's been said many times before, so goes coastal Mississippi, so goes Mississippi. And that's just literally a fact. So coming back to this notion of vulnerability and be, being being a strength, not a weakness, um, we've got to be willing to be to be vulnerable as a region, and in order to in order to ultimately get stronger. So overcoming our challenges is an imperative if reaching our bigger dreams for the region is really important to us. Uh, so so do you see the connection? Do you see the connection between bigger dreams and being vulnerable? So what is really possible here in coastal Mississippi? Um, you know, uh, I believe more is possible in this region than we could we could actually ever imagine. But are we really aligned around what is possible? I believe to my core that there is no way we can get to where we ultimately want to go in this region if we don't have real alignment around where we are now. So where are we vulnerable? It, 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 and and alignment is actually a really important point here, by the way. Is there, a, once we know what the vulnerabilities are, are, is there alignment around those vulnerabilities? 
do we collectively as a, as a region see being vulnerable as, as a necessary ingredient of being stronger? I think there's a lot of work to be done here, to be honest with you. Too many people who can make a difference are just too satisfied with where we are now. In fact, some protect the status quo with a vengeance. I, I, I can tell you that. I've, as publisher, I saw it. I saw it after Katrina. And too many of them, unfortunately, are elected officials. They're not all elected officials, but too many elected officials spoke, focus a little bit too much on protecting the status quo. So we have to know the, to the best of our abilities what our challenges are. And we have to, to be boldly thinking about uh, dreaming and dreaming bigger than we've ever done before. Only when we can do, only when we can get better aligned around the gaps that exist from where we are now in our current situation in coastal Mississippi and where we want to be with bold dreams inspiring us to, to, to dream bigger and with amazing leadership, only can we be, be really working to, to get better. At a very high level, all of this makes incredible sense. But it's extremely hard work. <laughs> Believe me, finding agreement and getting alignment, not just in where we're vulnerable, but also what the possibilities are, it, this is really, really hard. Now, I've had over 600 shows here on Coastview in more than two years. I am convinced we have the talent. Um, I know that we have leaders with vision and we have people with the ability to contribute toward those visions financially. But we also have great leadership. And, and, I, and I, I believe that in that way, if we bring it all together and we're smart about it, that we are gifted actually in this way. But we're not aligned too often. Okay, that's just a fact. We expect too little too often from elected officials. We too often let the gravity of mediocrity weight us down. This keeps us from dreaming bigger. And it zaps our collective energy in our region. Then complacency starts to set in. And complacency is our enemy. Um, I could say a lot more like that at this breakfast that I'm going to be attending. But I'm trying to think about, you know, it's going to be a theme, something like that, that complacency is probably our biggest challenge as a region. And we need people to dream big. And we need to be honest about what our challenges are. Um, we're fortunate here to have chambers of commerce across the coast that are very strong. We've got a good foundation, uh, good community foundation. We've got a thriving nonprofit community, and we've got a strong business council, a regional business council. And with all that said, I want to turn to my friend Ashley Edwards, who's the president and CEO of the, of the business council. We, Ashley, we've talked in these terms many times before. But when I read this 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 summary of Brina Brown's book, and where she said that vulnerability gives us a strength, do you sense that you know if you just I mean I, I we we're talking more generally here because we're a collection of communities that make up this larger coastal region, but do you sense that we're truly aware of how being vulnerable actually makes us stronger? No, I don't. I don't think so. I, I think we suffer a lot from uh, sort of this this broader disease of not being able to talk about our problems and our shortcomings because it's often, um, I, I, I guess, viewed as criticism. Um, and you know, we have a. I think you know. I think part of it's cultural too. You know, we we have a culture here that says, uh, you know, never. You know, if you're not going to say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Kind of a kind of a thing, 
Um, and, you know, criticism is, is not uh, usually taken at, in the constructive way it's meant. Um, and so I don't I don't think we're at that point yet, honestly. You know, I think it's been very difficult. And, you know, in some ways it probably doesn't help us that we've gone through so many disasters that weren't of our own making because it's allowed us to be victims. Um, you know, and that's not, I mean, that's not to say that we weren't victims. I, we, we were victims of things that were outside of our control. Uh, but, it, but at some point we have to stop sort of playing the hand that's been dealt uh, and, and start trying to, to, to earn a better hand. And I think the role leadership plays in that is really important. Um, and and uh, of course, you know, the the business council is in a position to sort of look at things from a regional point of view to really do a lot of current process analysis, a lot of situational analysis, and a lot of uh, and at least begin conversations about what is possible. But leadership's the key. And I think you know the the investments that so many are making in leadership development, the awards. The One Coast Awards are important. I always said from the very beginning about that, even when I called people to say that, you know, you won the award this year, I said it to every single one of them that uh, when Haley Barber and I, at the time, Haley was the governor, was, was, was there to award them the award. I was so happy that we were they were enabling us to hold them up as an example so that we can inspire other people to to want to to lead in the way that they they lead. But it takes a lot of leaders. It takes more than than we probably have right now that are focused on this. And um, and that's why we got to stay focused on it. We got to stay focused on bringing as many leaders into the fold as we possibly can. And one of the things that gives me a little, well, as you know, it gives me a lot of hope, Ashley. And I said it just a second ago. And I do think we're gifted in that there are emerging in coastal Mississippi a whole new cadre of leaders and entrepreneurs and those that don't let much grass grow under their feet. They're, they're focused on, they're making, some of these, some of these uh, men and women are, are making investments in the multiple millions of dollars in coastal Mississippi. And uh, so they're not just being a leader, you know, saying, okay, how can I contribute to uh, my volunteer effort to help bring focus on this? They are investing millions and millions of their own money because they believe in a future for Coastal Mississippi that is extraordinarily compelling. And, you know, that's actually really important. But when we come back, I want to continue the conversation with, with uh, Ashley about leadership, the role that leadership plays. I wanna I wanna I've had some big concerns about the Gulf Coast Restoration Fund, the money, and how the money how the money's being used and whether it's actually being used or not. And I wanna I wanna kinda dive into that. That's actually really important to our goals and I'll explain more to you why this is important in a minute. But when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Ashley Edwards. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Supertalk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to Coastview. We have Ashley Edwards, the president and CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council. He's been a great friend of the show and someone I talk to regularly because the more I do this show, the more I want to raise the bar. And it's hard to raise the bar if you don't have every if you don't have consensus. And you know, one of the things, Ashley, when I was uh, when I was in the media business, and one of the reasons why my career did did really well as I got further in my career was because I had the opportunity kind of uh, as a as a young up-and-comer in uh, Knight Ritter, the company that owned the Sun-Herald, to be involved with some of the best consultants, some of the most, I don't know, um, influential consultants in the world as it relates to reengineering and cultural change and all of that. So I just spent a lot of time with some incredible uh, teachers. And what I learned is, and I've said this recently about the about the you know the income tax situation, but specifically that when you want to bring about change, whether it be legislative change or bringing people together in a region or whatever it is, you got to have a roadmap, and and you have to and and all the stakeholders have to be sort of you know on board with the roadmap, and it doesn't mean so the roadmap isn't getting into process. It's not getting excuse me. It's not getting into content. It's not getting into strengths and weaknesses and none of that. The roadmap is simply here is the process we're going to deploy to help us get from where we are now to where we want to go. And and having a roadmap we could all agree to was really, really important. If you don't have a roadmap, then... You don't. You're not speaking the same language when you talk about change. You're not. You're not. You're. You're not. Uh, you're not in agreement about what are the data points that we're going to use that are going to define whether we're you know successful or not. Um, you you don't have a shared vision about where you're headed. You know what great leaders do is they they paint a vision for the future and get people excited and and then they you know define a, a, an orderly process to help us you know tactically get from here to where we want to go. Um, we don't really have that yet in coastal Mississippi, where there's this kind of common uh, roadmap that brings everybody a- into the conversation on the same page. Do we? No, we, we don't have that. Um, you know, in fact, we've never really had it. I've been spending a lot of time lately reflecting back on the 20 years that I've been here on the coast. And, you know, I I particularly think about the years after Hurricane Katrina. And uh, I think maybe you and I have talked about this before, but I I remember it so well. You know, we were dealing with five and a half billion dollars of federal supplemental uh, supplemental recovery money uh, that had been appropriated by Congress to the state of Mississippi. And and we were working to create first of their kind programs at that time to try to figure out how to spend that money um, to ensure that our communities would would be able to recover. Uh, and one of the things that we looked at doing, for example, was uh, actually paying for the cities and the counties to bring in world class planners, uh, you know, land use uh, planners, architects, engineers, others that could help them you know, determine how best to rebuild their city and actually bring those folks in uh, and, and, you know, hire them for on a contract, whether it be a year, two years, three years as city employees. And, you know, I remember as we were sitting around the office working on trying to create that program and putting budgets together, we just thought it was going to be a hit uh, with our local cities and counties that they would say, oh, you know, great, we can't wait to have this kind of assistance. And then when we started meeting with the mayors and the county supervisors, uh, the immediate response we got is, well, we're not interested in that. And there were two reasons uh, that they said they weren't interested. The first was they said, we don't want anybody coming from out of town telling us what we ought to be doing. 
That was number one. And number two, they said, you know, a lot of these people are going to require six-figure salaries to get them down here, and nobody's going to make more than the mayor, or nobody's going to make more than the supervisor who gets paid, you know, forty-five thousand dollars a year. Uh, we're just not going to allow that to happen. Um, and so, you know, that that was a one, you know, yet another good idea that kind of ended up uh, ended up in the trash. Um, and I, I look back on that all the time, and I always sort of view that as the first opportunity that we really had for. Uh, for a lot of the cities and counties to chart themselves a vision. And I don't mean just the charrette process whereby, you know, they're putting together pretty plans and booklets and showing the people. I'm talking about, mm. you know, people that could come in, ex real expertise that could come in and help these decision makers chart a course forward. And, and most of it was, you know, we're not interested. And I don't, I don't say that to be critical. I just say that as, I mean, it, it's reality. It, it happened. Um, and I think we continue to pay the price for that kind of thinking. Uh, you know, you look around the country at the regions that are very successful economically, the places that have uh, they're really seen incredible business and economic growth. You know, these places, Ricky, have not always been that way. You know, Nashville, Tennessee, which has been one of the strongest economies in the United States, really for the past decade, um, you know, 30 years ago, there were... Talk, there was talk really throughout the country that Nashville was going to be the first great American city that was going to go under. They were bankrupt. Uh, they didn't know what to do. They were losing people left and right. And they have completely turned that around. Part of the way that they accomplished that was bringing in smart people uh, that, that were able to help them chart a course for their future. So to go back to your example about that roadmap, um, you know, I think it's fair to say that communities, individual communities, some have done better than others at trying to figure out where they want to go. And you have seen uh, some communities do really, really well with, you know, kind of their strategic plan. I mean, I th you know, I use Ocean Springs as an example. Ocean Springs has gotten very good at sort of being what they want to be. And they've seen a lot of investment as a result of that. Uh, downtown Gulfport has really gone through quite a, quite a renaissance. You're starting to see some of that uh, really starting to happen and pick up in Biloxi now. But for the most part, what we've never really had was a regional roadmap. And in order for us to be successful on a macro level, we can't do it on a community by community basis. We have to look at ourselves as, as one people, one region, uh, with common infrastructure, with common governance. Uh, ultimately, they're all pulling on the same end of the rope. And you know, at least in the 20 years I've been doing that, uh, doing this, I have not ever experienced that yet. Well, what what I what I personally see because I, I was I had the benefit of having been there before and after Katrina was publisher of the Sun Herald wrote a lot about this. I was incredibly frustrated by um, the lack of capacity to think about how we want to change. And I, by the way, I got it. By the way, I'm I, I don't again. That's not a that's not necessarily criticism. It's just like today, even keeping people focused on a future. If we if we really had agreement around that, it's hard with you know with storms and algae blooms and BP oil spill and all, you know, you know, the pandemic It's hard because we, we, we get, as we've discussed before, you get through that, that disaster, take a deep breath and it's hard to, to refocus. But what I've noticed, what I've noticed more recently, and Coastview has given me a chance to zero in like I've never done before is that, you know, if you look at what's happening in Moss Point and Pascagoula and Ocean Springs, Gaucher's got a vision for where they want to go. And you've got, you know, you've got unparalleled activity in Biloxi and Gulfport. I mean, I could just go all the way down the, the coast. 
You got a string of mayors now that are that had very successful careers that have chosen to do public service now, sort of like George Logel did back when he was the mayor of, of Gulfport. Um, but we've got we've got we're in a different place, I believe, than we were back then. I think the diversity of our region from, you know, different cities that make up this incredible region across three coast counties is our is one of our biggest strengths. But it's also a weakness because, you know, when I was in Alabama, I had responsibilities for the newspaper in Huntsville. I watch Huntsville. I've talked about it here on the show. I watch Huntsville. When they decided to go to Washington, they brought 100 people and they were f- unbelievably focused. They didn't have to wrestle with getting, you know, 15 municipalities on the same page, you know. They they had one and they they wanted and so that unified voice it's 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 certainly easier to find what the unified voice is going to be so it's, it's it's certainly easier to understand strategically where are the opportunities and how we're gonna how we're gonna address those it's harder here we have to be we have to see that that our diversity is our strength but we also have to figure out as a region. How do we how do we some, somehow connect all that and integrate it together into a vision that makes sense? Roland Week said to me earlier in my career, and uh, and I still believe it today that in the early days, that if we we were spending so much time fighting amongst ourselves, Blexi and Gupport didn't even get on weren't even on the same wavelength in, in back many years ago. Today. You know, Fofo and Billy are leaders in the concept of, of one coast. But the, but the pot, bottom line was we spent so much time fighting amongst ourselves that the legislature didn't have to pay attention to us. We're in a different place today than we were back in those days. We still we still have to think about what's the process that we're going to put that we're going to engage leaders in that's going to help us get to where we need to go because we don't have that. I think that's one of the reasons why the BP oil money, the the Gulf Coast Restoration Fund that you're very involved in, has has not been able to really raise the bar on transformation. And one of this is, you know, is just to remind people, one of the reasons is the legislation created uh, uh, created an advisory committee. And they're only in an advisory role. Ashley's deeply involved in that. And they score the projects and the projects then go to the legislature to get passed. But but you don't have to, to for your for your project to get passed, you don't necessarily have to go to the local committee. So politics has really gotten involved. I, I call it a political football. When you look at the projects that have been funded, like municipal buildings and things like that, that's not confirmation. That's not transformation. That That is, you know, spending money on a project that could have found money in other places. They could have done it in a different way. What I'm talking about transformation is is reaching out to a, pu- pu- a private developer and say, you may not be able to make that project go in Nashville, but bring it to Biloxi, bring it to Gulfport, and we're going to put some Coast, Coast Restoration Fund money with it, and we're going to make the numbers work for you here. We have an unparalleled opportunity over the next 14, 15 years still to get this right and to focus on transformation. When we come back, I, actually, I want to I want to hear a little bit of a report. How is it gone? How much of the money is being spent? What's the latest as it relates to the BP money? We'll see you after this break. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by AGJ Systems and Networks on Supertalk 103.1 FM. Welcome back to Coast View. Now, look, here's the deal. When you talk about the BP money or the Gulf Coast Restoration Fund, 
a lot of that is inside baseball. It's happening over there. The average person does have to pay attention to it. But let me tell you this: we, I've Ben Brown, who's one of the one of the top develop uh, 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 planners in the in the country, said that he he said this on Coastview over a year ago. He said that if developers knew that we had a fund here in Mississippi, it's not taxpayer money, incidentally. This is money that BP put into this fund. If we had, if, if developers knew that we had a process in place that that gave us a chance to maybe make projects work that won't work in other communities, but they would work here because the the public sector is willing to, to put some skin in the game, man, we would be overrun by developers. But the truth is, we really haven't done any kind of a you know, come join us kind of kind of a proclamation because unfortunately too much of the BP money is being used as kind of a political football that's the reality of it okay that's my statement not 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 Ashley's but Ashley let me ask you specifically if you go back and look at sort of where we are now how much money's been allocated and on what kind of projects and how much of it's actually been spent yeah so so just about all the money that has been available has been uh, allocated that comes out to uh, roughly $30 million a year for the last three years. And then there was some money that was sort of already in that in that fund uh, from, from the years that BP had sent that check. BP essentially is sending a $40 million check a year uh, to the state of Mississippi to, to pay this. And again, it's a, as you said, it's a settlement. It's not something that's being derived directly from our tax payments to the state. It's a settlement. It's corporate money that's ultimately going into the state treasury to be spent by the state. Um, let's let's just let me take a few steps back and just say, Ricky, you know, we started talking about how best to create a structure for spending this BP money really back in like 2015, 2016 timeframe. So, you know, that's that's been, you know, a good seven years that we've been talking about this now. It wasn't until the end of 2018 that we had a special session that created the authorizing legislation. And then in 2019, the process kind of started in earnest. So we've been through this for, you know, three, three years now. When I say we, I mean the coast has been through this for three years now. And essentially what we've got is we've got a, a grant program that, that looks a lot like other grant programs that we've had, you know, after disasters like Katrina, whereas, you know, cities, counties, nonprofits, school districts, others, are, are submitting applications uh, and, and they're saying through their application, here's our project, here's what we want to do, here's how much it's going to cost and, and will you give this money uh, to us to do this. Um, I serve on the advisory board, we're advisory only, we don't make any of those decisions. All we do every year is, is take the you know 100 or so applications we receive dive into it try to understand the project try to understand the proposed economic impact uh, try to understand you know what what are the the outcomes going to look like is it going to create jobs is it going to grow a tax base is it going to create land for new development is it going to improve a roadway i mean you know what is it going to do and then we make our recommendations to the legislature based on our review of those applications. Um, and there's there's seven people that are on that advisory board, all very distinguished, accomplished, competent business leaders uh, who have spent you know many many years working in the community. Uh, you know we have CFOs, auditors. Uh, people who've worked in economic development, folks who have, you know, Jim Simpson, who is a former legislator, bank presidents, I mean, you, you know, you name it. 
Uh, and in every one of those cases, what we've seen is that, you know, essentially we, we go through this long process and, uh, and that's really where it stops. Uh, when the when it when the decision comes to the legislature and they through the legislation uh, ensured that they would be the ones to determine how those dollars would be spent, and and let me just say on that on that topic, Ricky, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I mean, they were elected to you know by the people of their districts to help make those decisions, but uh, you know where we started with this process. Um, and the business community was recommending a, a, a structure that would act like a board of trustees or a board of fiduciaries, such that they had a fiduciary responsibility to ensure that they would achieve economic outcomes and return on investment through the expenditures of these BP funds, ultimately that were given to us to try to, you know, uh, put our economy back in a in a good situation. Um, you know, we, we looked at that from the perspective of why not have funds where, uh, you know, we can do low interest or no interest loans for entrepreneurs so that we can, re you know, that we can get the money paid back over time. Why not be able to take equity positions in projects so that a $10 million investment can mean $20 million coming back into the fund. And then 50 years from now, you know, that initial 500 million or so dollars or 450 million dollars that we had might be a billion dollars sitting, sitting in a fund somewhere that will be constantly reinvest, reinvested in the coast. Uh, legislature didn't like that idea. They didn't want to go in that direction. Uh, they wanted to make annual appropriations of this money. And so they've been doing that every year for the past three years, making annual appropriations. Over a hundred million dollars uh, appropriated thus far. Uh, only about two percent of that that has actually gone out the door um, and actually hit, you know, and hit the streets in terms of being spent. Um, and you know, there are lots of reasons for that as well. But you know, I think without without being critical of the process, I, I think even the legislature would probably say that they have not seen the outcomes that they hope to see as a result of this. So I think we're sitting here, you know, three years later, whether you're in the business community or or whether you're a, a local official or whether you're a state uh, elected official or legislature, legislators saying, you know, this has not quite turned out the way we had hoped. So my read on it is the Coast Legislative Delegation has used this as a way to sort of parcel out the money so that some, a little bit goes over there and a little bit goes over here and a little bit goes over there. And you start looking at what some of this money is for. One might be a fund that just for economic development without any other explainers than that. What is that? One might be over here to build a building. One might you, you get what I'm trying to say here. Sure. And what I said is, okay, uh, with, uh, if I were a legislator – I might be doing that too if if I wasn't being required to sign up for a more a larger goal here, which is to define and to doggedly work hard to define what the legislation's intention was. The, the legislative intention was to build transformational projects, to build projects that would have payback for many years to come. There's, there, you've had many of those that have been approved, and um, and for whatever reason, you know, the, the money hasn't been drawn down now. But to see, say that of all the money that's been given, nearly $100 million, and so little of it has actually been paid out yet, it makes you wonder how many of the projects that so, – that some went through the committee, but some went around the committee, were not really shovel-ready. And they really weren't yeah. sure what they were going to do with the money. What's your thought about that? 
Well, there's no question. You know, I think, you know, what you see primarily being funded through this process, it's been municipal or county projects. And, you know, with that in mind, you know, there's there is just the the amount of time it takes for some of those things to occur, you know, going through public bid process, public procurement for engineers, I mean, all the types of things. So, you know, you're right, not really shovel-ready projects. And so there's just some time kind of built into that process there. You know, look, this is not the way that you would do economic development. Uh, you know, we've talked about this as a quote-unquote economic development fund. Uh, nobody in their right mind would do economic development through an annual appropriation process. Projects don't wait. You know, economic development projects move fast. They, they may make an entire location decision within a three-month time frame and be under construction before the legislature even meets again. So, you know, that, that's, a t that's a tough process uh, to do economic development. So what we've really been doing is more community development. I would say that a lot of the projects have been more community development oriented. Um, and, and with that in mind, what you've seen is again you know and and you you made this comment i almost feel like i got to be cautious because i have been often accused of being too hard on the legislators and i, I just really want to be very pragmatic about it when when you're elected as a legislator your job is to go to jackson and do everything you can to make sure that you bring back the most resources the most assistance the most visibility on your district and the things that need to happen in your district and so in some ways we've got some misaligned incentives with a program that really should not be designed to make sure everybody gets a small slice of the pie what we really want to be doing here is making sure uh that that we are investing in investments that will pay dividends over a long period of time such that the pie grows for everybody but it's being treated uh some you know like well hey we've got 30 million dollars this year let's figure out a way to make sure that everybody gets a little something out of this and all and, and ultimately when you do that those little somethings usually are not going to be very transformational i again I, I will say this: If I were a local legislator and and um, I was in this position and I wasn't being encouraged or forced by by virtue of the legislation or some other pressure on me, I would be trying to figure out how I could use this money as a political football myself. I mean, that's is that, it's kind of natural that it be like that. So, and I said that, not you. I get I get what you're saying, and you're not, neither one of us are being overly critical. We can, we can set that aside for a second and realize that we got about 13 or 14 more years to go on this BP money, and we should be spending all of our energy trying to figure out how we can be transformational. What, let's don't blow this. Let's don't blow this. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation. You can also listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. We have all this money sitting there and that came as a result of BP. Coast, the coast is an economic engine for the rest of the state. We, we were economically damaged during the oil spill. And so the effort should be, what can we put in place that makes us more resilient next time economically? What is it that can be put in place that's going to have a payback for many years to come, that diversifies our economy, that makes us 
you know, less reliant on on specific segments. What is it we can do? And we should that's transformational. And we should be focused on that. And we should bring the light of day on every project that they're that they're funding. And ask the community, is that transformational? Let's let's read let's read this bill again. What does the bill say? The bill literally is talking about long-term payback, saying all the right things, but the mechanism that that is deploying the money doesn't necessarily connect well with the transformation. Now what I've said is if you really want to improve transformation, then force every single uh, um, um, project to come through the committee, so that that if you want to improve transformation, then you can improve the scoring, so that all, everything's being scored on the same template. Secondly, if you have a project like you pointed out, a lot of projects don't fit the legislative calendar, and you need to know now whether you can put some money toward a project or not. Uh, we need to ha- we need to build in some kind of a of a fallback plan for some a, a big opportunity comes from and, and is involved. How do we how do we Get some committed money to be able to do it. It's got to be some discretionary money in this somehow. Um, there's so much about it. But actually, so people can have a better understanding, what are a couple of examples of transformational projects that have been funded or may be funded? Well, you know, we've been fortunate, I think, to get a few what I would consider to be very good projects that have come through this application process. One of the first ones that I got pretty excited about was the Ocean Enterprise Project that was really sort of headlined by the University of Southern Mississippi, the port of Gulfport, city of Gulfport, very supportive. And what it sought to do was to try to create a, a cluster in downtown Gulfport around the port of, of ocean science, ocean technology-based companies, uh, services, activities that would ultimately be able to do things like, you know, like attract, uh, you know, other private investment, which they have. Um, you know, Ocean Arrow, which is a which is a ocean technology company doing uh, unmanned underwater vehicles, you know, they have located from San Diego, California, down to the port of Gulfport, which is a great, you know, I was I was talking to that company back when I was an economic developer seven, eight years ago. Um, so, you know, it's, it, you're starting to see some of that pay off. And that was one of the projects that came in early on. Now, it didn't get funded to nearly the level of request that they had put in. And one of the reasons for that is because you know, there was only so much money to go around and they wanted to split it up and make sure everybody got a little slice of that. So, uh, but they did get some funding. I think that's a good example of a transformational project. Um, You know, on a smaller scale, I think there are communities that have made application for projects that they think will be transformational. And I agree, you know, transformational is a lot different in Diamond Head than it is in, in, you know, in D'Iberville. When you look at D'Iberville with the incredible retail and commercial corridor they have, uh, City of Diamond Head wanted to go in and, and expand their commercial district and, and actually create places that could bring in uh, new retail businesses, new commercial businesses, allow for folks that are getting off the interstate there to, uh, you know, to be able to go in and stop in Diamond Head Shop, spend money there. You know, that's probably going to be transformational for that city. It was a relatively small project in the grand scheme of things, but that was a project that was awarded. Pascagoula is doing some downtown revitalization. You're seeing some of that in, in Ocean Springs. So that's not to say that everything that has occurred have, have, have not been good projects. There have certainly been good projects in there. But then you contrast that with things like 
you know, building a, a new police station in, 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 uh, in Hancock County or, or you know, um, doing a renovation on the, uh, on the cafeteria at the George County Hospital. Um, you know, those things, it's difficult to see how those things are really going to uh, ultimately transform the economy. That's not to say those things aren't needs. It's not to say that those things were not in need of capital investment. Um, but, you know, as with everything, um, there's kind of a layer cake to, to government funding. It's, it's, you know, take the money that's the most flexible that can be used on anything and save it for those things that don't fit well into any of the other pots. And, you know, that's the, the thing that I, one of the big criticisms I have really the process is, you know, we've got a lot of different funding streams out there, uh, especially as a result of the pandemic. You've got the BP money that is coming through the federal government, in the terms of the Restore Act, a lot of environmental restoration money. We got transportation and infrastructure money coming in through the federal government. We've got ARPA funds coming in. Uh, we've still got uh, Katrina recovery funds that haven't even been fully spent yet. So there are a number of different pots out there. But what gets me is when we're spending this, these one-time corporate dollars from BP on things that would do environmental restoration or things that would do transportation, when we've got other dedicated funds to do those things. So in many ways, it's, it's become a little bit of a, uh, kind of a bit of a catch-all, and I don't, I don't know that that was ever really the way it was intended. I think we need to engage the leadership, both the House, the Speaker of the House, and the Lieutenant Governor around this conversation, and see what we can do to, to you know, make it better. The mixed-use project in downtown Gulfport that is, could be revolutionary in terms of building a place where people want to live, work, and play. That's another good example of a project that should be and may be uh, funded in the future. There's a lot more to this, but we will not stop having this conversation because if we're going to raise the bar in coastal Mississippi, we got to get aligned around things like this, and we're not aligned around this one at all in my opinion so anyway with all uh with uh with all that behind us i look forward to continuing the conversations with you my friend ashley thank you ricky always glad to be on your show and thank you for all the work you do it's it's really really very necessary and appreciate you very much you bet buddy take care have a great day and we'll see you tomorrow Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.